Welcome to Right Around the Road, the creative podcast that helps you get those pesky voices out of your head and onto the page. And remember, it's the journey that matters. Welcome to episode 102 of Right Around the Road. This week we're expanding our horizons to look at how to survive as a freelance writer. Now this is one that's very dear to my heart because I spent many years surviving as a freelance writer. I'm here to say that it can be done, but I'm here to tell you that today's guest, not only is she surviving, but she's absolutely thriving and sharing her knowledge with the rest of us. So whereas I made enough to eat and sleep and put a roof over my head, this lady has just this year in 2017, sorry, has made over $100,000 freelancing and she's very open and transparent about how she's done that. She's got a website which I'll reference at the end of the podcast but I thought it would be very timely as I kick into full-time uh, into my full-time business again and I'm not going back teaching everybody, remember that, that I'll be going back and doing a bit of freelance writing and a bit of uh, freelance travel writing which will see me out and around on the road again which makes me very, very excited. And the biggest tip that Lindy has for us is that in order to be successful as a freelance writer, you need to be a fast, trusted and reliable writer. And that usually means uh, under-promising and over-delivering. So make sure that you promise everything that your editor requires and then give more and above. And that's probably really easy to do nowadays because life is so very exciting and there's so much out there and there are so many ideas. Um, but let's talk to Lindy about that. In other news, uh, Sam is off gallivanting up on the far north Queensland coast. Uh, Felicity is back at school. Can you believe it that the time has flown so quickly? And I'm knuckling down to five days a week in the office. So if you hear me being slightly hysterical, it's because I'm going, oh my gosh, I actually really have to work at this gig if I want to make a living out of it. Uh, this week's sponsor is uh, Travel Writers Radio with Graham Kenlow down there in Melbourne. And I'll be doing some freelance writing for him throughout the year as well, or freelance radio work with him for him throughout the year as well. So it's exciting to welcome Travel Writer Radio, Travel Writers Radio aboard for uh, sponsorship in 2018. Now sit back, listen to Lindy because she's far more interesting than me, although I keep finding myself, as I always do when I get excited, butting in and talking and enjoying the conversation because so many things that she talked about uh, I could remember back from the good old days and so many things that I brought up from the good old days uh, triggered a response from her. So this is, I think, a really interesting conversation to listen to. Uh, so let's get to it. And welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today we're travelling to uh, sunny Victoria because it's always warm down there in Australia in the middle of summer, um, but it gets pretty, pretty cold down there as well. I'd like to welcome Lindy Alexander, freelance writer, research and content creator. Good morning, Lindy. Good morning, Melinda. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on the show today, Lindy, because uh, we were just talking briefly before the show and I used to make all my money freelance writing and I was really proud of myself that I managed to live and survive and eat. Uh, Lindy has just managed to earn $100,000 in a month, so I'm very keen to see how she did it because I don't think I earned $100,000 in total, Lindy. Uh, congratulations <laughs> on your amazing success in your first year of freelance freelancing, full-time freelancing. Thank you. Yes, so I earned 100000 in a year. I did. Yeah, thank you. It's um, been a wild ride, 2017 has. Yeah. Was that $100,000 in the whole year, not just the month? Yes. No, no, not a month. 
Oh, no. wow. Okay. Yes. Well, I read that thing. Lindy has a blog, everybody, and it's tips and tricks for the rest of us to land the gigs that we want and earn the money we're worth. Um, so I probably did earn the money I'm worth. Um, <laughs> we might go on and read a little bit more about that later. Uh, now, this is your first year full-time freelancing and you've done extremely well. I'm sure you've learned along, uh, learned a lot along the way. So that's what I thought we'd focus on today. Uh, would you like to share with us a little bit, just to give everyone some perspective, exactly what it is that you do? Sure. So uh, I'm a freelance writer and researcher and my background's in social work actually. So I was a social worker for 10 years and then when I was pregnant with my first child who's now five, I wanted to explore writing and I've always felt that I was a writer but I just I didn't know um, that there would be an opportunity to pursue it. And so I think maternity leave gave me this break this break from regular life and working where I could explore that part and so I did a short course a five-week course on feature writing for magazines and newspapers and within weeks I had my first article commissioned and I thought gosh people are going to pay me for my words and I found it quite astounding to be honest and then I did that part-time for about five years while I was still working as a social worker and finishing off my PhD and then last year in 2017, my partner decided he wanted to be at home with the kids and I thought this is my opportunity to test myself and see whether I could make a living to support a family of four as a freelance writer. And so I started the blog because I couldn't find anyone else in Australia who was writing about their journey as a freelancer and their ups and downs and whether they were making money or not because the word on the street was that it's so difficult to make any sort of good income from freelance writing. So I wanted to see. So I thought I'm going to be the guinea pig. Uh, now, we've got a lot to unpack in that one, uh, including in the last few years, getting a PhD, going from working full time, having two young children and learning the ropes of being a writer because she started it all with uh, doing a feature article course at the Australian Writers Centre. Now, if we haven't got a high, a high achiever here on our hands, everybody, I don't know what it is. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, everything that I hear about uh, freelance writing is that it's a really tough gig and all the journos are out there doing it and the rest of us haven't got a chance uh, but you and I both know that's not true I do earn some money freelancing and I will be doing it again uh, a lot more this year because I don't want to go back teaching and yeah. the opportunities are there if you're strategic about it um, and I think that's what you do isn't it and I think that's the exact word is um, strategic. And so I don't think, I know it seems that I am a high achiever, but I actually, I don't feel like I am, <laughs> like I am, but I think you're right in that if you have a strategy and you're prepared and you're planned, I actually think it's easier than people think to make money from writing. And I, I mean, Everyone talks about the depressed state of journalism in terms of income and I did wonder whether I had to have qualifications because I don't as a journalist. But what I found is that actually you can really make a very good income from be being a hack writer like me. <laughs> 
Now, this is a hack writer is actually a, a, a very um, flattering term in, in the journalism world, I think. Uh, and you're obviously very good at what you do. And one of the testimonials, and we'll talk about why it's important to have testimonials, and it's the same as uh, novelists, everyone. We need, we need people to say how good we are at what we do. But one of the highest, um, I guess, accolades that you can get from an editor is to be a fast, trusted and reliable writer, a go-to person. And that's come from um, an editor, uh, Danielle Tooch, and she was one of, I think it was Fairfax or someone like that. So she's given you that testimonial. One of the things that uh, uh, my friend down at Travel Writers Radio, Graham Kemlo, taught me, that if you can be trusted, they'll go to you every time. Yes, I think that's right. Um, I think being trusted, I think delivering what you say you will, when you say you will. So there are some really basic core things that you have to deliver. Um, and actually, there's, and it's nothing to do with the quality of the writing that you're producing. So it's even before that, that you're easy to work with, that you're good natured, that you accept feedback within reason. I think to push back if there are requests for edits on your article that you really don't, that you feel are unfounded. But I think being easy to deal with is a huge bonus. And just from the editors I've spoken to, they will pick a mediocre writer who is easy to work with over a difficult, brilliant writer any day. Yeah, and a reliable writer. I think being able to turn your assignments in on time, and and as you said, there's always quick edits. Uh, what the what they do, everybody, is you write your article. They'll set it all up with. Usually, you've got to supply the images nowadays, but we'll talk about that as well. And then it'll come back to you with the changes. And quite often, they're just typos, uh, which you should you should be handing in clean copy, everybody. But I always manage to give in typos. Uh, yeah, clean copy is really really important. And if you're prepared to do that and can do it in a timely manner, they'll come back to you again, won't they? Mm, absolutely. Sometimes those requests can be bigger than that. Sometimes they can be a bit challenging because they want you to go back to a case study that you've interviewed and re-interview them or they want you to change the angle slightly or they want you to rewrite a paragraph. And it can be bruising to open an email and think, I thought I was done with that piece and I actually have to delve back in and rework it and massage it to what they want. But I just think you have to, once you expect that and you set up those expectations for yourself, you're not surprised. And so an article is never done until you see it in print or online. And even when it's online, you know, case studies sometimes come back and say, oh, could you just change this or you got this bit wrong. So it's never totally over. Yeah. Now, everyone, you have to pitch, or quite often you have to pitch your own ideas. Uh, and that's one of the first questions that freelancers always ask. Where do we get our ideas from? Now, they're actually out there everywhere, aren't they? Yeah. And I actually find it overwhelming <laughs> that there are so many avenues for ideas. And I used to subscribe to all sorts of news sites and journal alerts to let me know what were the newest and latest thinking. And I just found that I was waking up in the morning and I'd have 18 or 20 unopened emails and I just would never get through them. So I've stopped subscribing. For me, a lot of my ideas come from reading the newspaper, talking to friends. Um, a few years ago, I was at a barbecue and a couple of my friends were talking about how they were getting married after having kids. And I thought, I wonder if this is a common occurrence. And so I pitched the idea to Sunday Life, which is the Fairfax media's um, 
lift out on Sunday and they ran with it. And so I think just being open to things and, and keeping your ears open for opportunities for stories, that's where I find them. They're everywhere. Yeah. Now, I had a look at that article, everybody, and what intrigued me straight away, and this is, I think, a really, really important tip as well, is the image on Lindy's website, and we'll reference that in the podcast, uh, the image in the uh, the article was two people holding hands with a pair of little shoes in the middle so straight away the the picture told the story the headline and the picture is what captured my imagination now you could have chosen any number of pictures to go with that article but because it was after having children just having those little pair of shoes in there uh was was key to that article wasn't it Mm, absolutely and images are so important and I think probably as a beginning freelancer that's something that I didn't necessarily understand the importance of so um, some stories of mine haven't gone ahead because I haven't been able to source um, appropriate imagery for it that's much more for print than for online but more and more you're being asked to ask the case studies or ask a tourism board if you're a tra- if you're doing some travel writing to provide the images rather than the publication themselves sending out a photographer to take those images yeah see now that's an interesting one because I used to always take my own photographs and that's I ended up actually doing a course at JCU I was in Townsville at the time to take my own photographs and it becomes quite overwhelming because being a photographer is a is a full-time gig all on its own uh, yet magazines are or yep yeah, I don't know much about digital we'll talk about that in a minute but magazines are expecting you to be both a writer and photographer now and that's a huge workload Yes, I mean, absolutely. And I don't have any photography skills at all. And I was recently on a travel writing trip where one of the writers was a staff writer, but they used to send out a photographer plus a writer to whatever trip they were doing, whereas now this woman was doing both. And just watching her try to record conversations, have conversations with people, but also thinking what would be a good shot, lugging her tripod around. She was doing double the work of any of us and she was saying for her she couldn't do either job as well as she wanted to because she was having to split and divide her attention. Yeah, and that, look, I guess the advantage of being freelance is you can choose your gigs, you can choose your passions I think one of the things that you recommend is you can you can niche down into something that you really love and I was having a look at your articles to work out what it is that you really love um, because it looks like it's travel and it looks like it could be food yes I think (laughs) it's travel and food and people and I think I think after 10 years of social work I felt pretty burnt out and I felt pretty exhausted and um compassion fatigued I guess and so for me working in food and travel at the moment that's where my focus is it's a bit more light-hearted and I just find that the people that I speak to and interview and visit are so passionate about whatever they're growing or producing or cooking that it's hard not to be inspired by that. Yeah, now food, wine and travel, everyone, it is our dream gig. If you were going to recommend to the rest of us to get out there and get on some Famils, which is where I guess the industry support us to go out and and interview and showcase their their facilities, their five-star resorts and all the rest of it, those gigs are quite sought after. But Mm -hmm. they they are out there and they're looking for good journos all the time, aren't they? 
Absolutely. And I think the key to that is developing relationships with those providers like the PR companies or the tourism boards who are hosting those for meals or press trips. Um, And to do that, to develop those relationships, they need to know that you've got some solid relationships with publications or editors in the industry. So quite often uh, offers to attend a familial or press trip will go to staff writers because then they know that they're guaranteed a story to run in a particular publication. If they know that you've written for a publication that they don't have a relationship with, they might approach a freelancer and say, can you get a commission? So that's a solid, yes, we will run your article. Can you get a commission from this editor at this magazine and we will host you? And I think if you don't have any um, food or travel writing experience, the way to do it is to just um, look at your local area and see what's happening because as a local person on the ground, you have an insight into great stories as they're happening way before anybody else does and international editors so I'm writing for quite a few in-flight magazines they love it they love to have local writers writing about local areas okay so there's a tip for you everybody Uh, in-flight magazines pay quite well they're reliable they're always looking for content and one of the tricks there I believe is to write short first they're always at the front of their magazine they're always looking for 350 words before they'll give you a bigger gig is that still is that still the case I think it depends on the editor but front of book as it's called is usually the way in so yep a short snappy 200 to 350 word piece and usually those sections are quite set and the bonus is most of their editions or issues are online so you can go and you can research and then you can pitch an idea for a new art gallery opening or a new chef who's doing exciting things or a fashion designer who is using recycled fair trade um material so you can pitch your idea and tailor it to a specific section and that will increase your opportunity of getting a yes yeah and I'm getting more excited as I listen here I might have to go back and try this again uh now one of the things and one of the tricks that uh I was taught very early in the piece is you go on a trip and you and even local even around you can take one idea and you can turn it into several articles Yes, absolutely. And I think for me as a freelancer, that's something that I'm really working on. So in 2017, I had a trip to the Gold Coast for three nights and I got four stories out of that. And really for me, that was the minimum because you're away from your desk. There's very little writing time in those three or four days. You're gathering information all the time. And so your mind is worrying about well, I've spoken to that person, where could I fit this story? And you also want to show that you're really valuable to the the tourism board that's hosted you. So as a result of that, that tourism board have been really happy and they've invited me back on other press trips and other familiars. Now, if I delivered the one story that I was going for, I'm sure they would have been happy and they don't necessarily have expectations of more stories, but I think there's always the hope that you'll deliver more than you say you will. Yeah, I think the the I guess the truism is uh, promise half as much and deliver twice as much. Now, Graham, I'm sorry, I may have got that wrong, but uh, he did he did teach me. Uh, I think I don't know if you know Graham Kimelo, but he he is. Um, he was quite big in business writing and he now runs Travel Writers Radio down there in Melbourne Uh, and he's a very good mentor for a lot of young travel writers coming through and I believe we have our own association now and I've forgotten what it's called because I haven't done anything for so long. Uh, Now, it all sounds really romantic. It all sounds great 
as a freelance writer and you get $100,000 a year if you work really, really hard, what are the downsides? Oh, there's quite a few. Um, so for me, so for me, there's no clear boundary between work and life. That work is pretty much life. And the advantage is that I can be flexible. I can take my kids to kinder or I can drop in and see a friend or that sort of thing. But it does mean that often I am working in the evenings and I'm working very early in the morning. It means that I can't ever really put my out-of-office reply on. So even when I was on holidays, I was still receiving emails from editors because I want to be that reliable go-to freelancer. So I'm still really learning about negotiating some of those boundaries and how to manage that. Um, I think managing workflow as well and productivity is always a challenge. Some days you are thinking, gosh, I don't have that much on today. And then by the end of the day, you're thinking, I don't know how I'm going to manage doing all this and fitting, fitting it all in. So that's a challenge as well. Yeah. And I think you had a friend say to you when you were saying, oh, I'm so busy, I can't cope. And she's going, but aren't you your own boss? Yes. And that was a real light bulb moment. I was like, oh, that's right. I could actually have some control over this rather than just accepting all the work that's coming my way. Yeah. And it's always good to say yes, yes, yes at the start, isn't it? And then you can get a little bit more discerning. Yes. And that's where I am at the moment. So I'm saying yes to those um, gigs that I really enjoy or that pay well or do both preferably. And I am starting to say, no, that's not going to be, that's not in my wheelhouse. That's not what I write about. That doesn't fit with my life. I have no availability for that. And that is a, it's a good position to be in as a freelancer. But there is a sense, there's always a sense of instability that if I lose a couple of key editors, then I am going to have to ramp up my pitching and marketing efforts again. Yeah. Now, pitching everybody is the bane of a freelance journalist's life. And even while you're writing and researching and taking photographs and putting stuff out there, in the background, you've got to be pitching all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's the key, that it's easy to pitch, you know, five stories a week and get some responses from editors on those and then not do anything while you're writing. So there is this balance where you have to be, you have to have some uh, pitches out there because editors are incredibly busy people and you won't always get replies from them despite maybe following up with them and um, prompting them a couple of times. You won't always hear back. So it's dealing with that level of... Um, frustration I guess for some freelancers in in not being able to have an immediate response you've got pictures out there you're writing you're brainstorming other ones you're doing all the admin side you're updating your freelance writer website you're on social media so it is a juggling act of maintaining all of that yeah make make no mistakes everybody this is a really hard life uh and you can be very successful at it but you've got to be the best and it's interesting you're talking about the the pitfalls uh and I, i'd like you I, and i don't even know if you can give a take on this uh, i was writing for one magazine and it was very good all the way along and then recently it was overtaken by a bigger corporation or a bigger magazine and suddenly the pay rates were cut down to a third and the attitude of, dare I say this male, this um, person was, well, if you don't like it, that's okay. And I said, I wouldn't even get out of bed for that. And it's interesting that they feel that there's so many people writing out there for free or cheap that they can treat people like that or treat journalists like that. Uh, I'm guessing that's something that you would, I know you train new journos coming through with your advice on your blog. Do you recommend writing for free or cheap? It's a big question. I, I've written on spec, which is um, 
you write the article before you've got any guarantee that it will be published. I've written on spec once and I've written for free once. And I know, and for me, they were opportunities to build my portfolio because I had nothing. I had nothing to show editors. And so that was a way of getting my foot in the door. Um, I think it's easy if you start writing for $25 an article that you stay there because that's what you think you're worth. I think if you're going to do that, then you need to have an escape clause very quickly that you're going to do it for three articles and then you're going to get out because you have that bulk of work to show editors that you can produce great content. I don't think you have to. I think there are other ways to get published and to get paid without writing for free or for low-paying publications. Lots of online publications, some Fairfax ones, some News Corp ones, they're happy to run personal stories. So if you have a compelling personal story that you are happy to share, they will, and it's well written, they will pay you for that and they will pay you often fairly well. So a few hundred dollars for an article. So that's something to explore, I think. But I do think people who are writing for free, um, so often they have their reasons for doing that, but I would recommend only doing it for a very short amount of time. Yeah, and as you build up, everybody, a uh, dollar a word or a dollar fifty a word used to be the sort of going rate. Is that still the case? Oh no, I don't know anyone who's getting paid a dollar fifty a word. I mean, I think a dollar a word is still the gold standard, and unfortunately, like you say, that really hasn't that probably hasn't changed since the 80s or the 90s that a dollar is still what you're aiming for most of the work that I do is 80 cents a word but that said I still write for publications that pay me 20 cents a word and I write for publications who pay me more a little bit more than a dollar a word um on average I think you know 60 50 60 cents is probably the market average of what publications will pay per word wow so that I think that is tougher than what it used to be. But, again, you can still produce and make an income and you're, you're making a very good income and putting in all the work and everything as well. So it can be done, everybody. You've heard it here with Lindy as she, as she goes around. Uh, what would you recommend for someone starting out? I think, I think to know why you want to do it is really key why do you want to write? Is it to get the thrill of seeing your byline in a national newspaper? Is it just to itch a scratch that you have to write? Is it to tell interview local characters in your area? I think knowing why you want to do this is, is the first place to start. Then I would start looking at publications that you love to read and that you can imagine your stories sitting in. So is it an online news site where you think, hey, I, I know that a profile of a local person would be wonderful there? Or do you read um, a magazine where you think, oh, for that section, I can imagine the perfect story for that. Then you research the editor's details and you draft up a pitch or a query letter where you explain very briefly your story, why it would match that magazine or publication and a little bit about yourself and you send that off and you wait and that is the agonising part of it. You wait to hear whether the editor is interested or not and then you just you do that on repeat, you know, you kind of rinse and repeat and that's the way to do it. For me the shortcut was doing the Australian Writers' Centre course. That was an easy way in for me to get all that information I needed 
to an online course in four weeks or five weeks. And, and, and get you started. Uh, I'm putting up, I think I'm putting up a new course in the next couple of weeks about how to write a feature article as well. And I'm starting to bring a lot more uh, journos and writers in. And that idea came to me from uh, Gabby Logan. She runs a database in America. Brilliant, brilliant lady. She was out in Australia uh, late in late last year, late 2017. And she asked me to put up some uh, courses on teaching people how to write personal essays because there's a huge need for personal essays and feature articles. Now, we teach our kids at school this all the time and it's something I took for granted. And it made me think that, oh, wow, there's a school set I haven't exploited. And so Mm. I thought I'm going to put up some courses on that. If you were going to tell someone how to write a personal essay, what would you say? I would say, is it something, first, is it something that other people are interested in reading about? What's the common thread? What's the bit that people are going to want to click on that article or read that article, cut it out of the newspaper or magazine and share it around? So what is it about your experience that is translatable perhaps to a wider audience or is important about that? And I would keep that thread throughout the whole piece. I think sometimes because it's our lives and we know it so well, we start to write and suddenly a 500-word piece becomes a 5,000-word essay and no editor will pay you or print that. So keep it very tight, you know, focus on that one thing that you want to share and, and focus on that first sentence or first couple of sentences where you need to hook the reader in. And so as you read... As you read as a writer, you're reading to see how other writers have structured their uh, articles and stories. What language are they using? How have they made you want to keep on reading right to the end? And so I think, and make sure that you're happy to share that. I don't really anymore write personal stories because um, I feel like I'm cannibalising my life a bit and I think I've run out of things to talk about. But some people have endless amounts of material and that's wonderful for them because it doesn't require research and it doesn't require going out and interviewing people. So I do, I think you're right, there is a real hunger for those personal narratives. Yeah, and uh, Gabby has a database, everybody, uh, that I'll reference in the podcast as well. So, and you can, if you subscribe, do nothing more than subscribe to Gabby and Lindy, you certainly have a great start to to getting your own freelance writing career off the ground. And you've got the Australian Writers' Centre, and soon you'll have me with my little courses as well. But one of the, thing I found, one of the things I found as I, and I'm talking travel writing now, uh, specifically travel writing or food writing you could apply as well, when you're out there and about it's not about you you've got to get yourself out of there and and talk about the history talk about the local flavor talk about the local characters so you've really got to do your research before you go haven't you yeah absolutely and I think to get beyond um that kind of superficial experience of things you do you need to be really curious and you need to be open to opportunities I um about 18 months ago went on a a trip down Victoria's Great Ocean Road and one of the things that the tourism people had suggested to me was to go and visit a snail farmer and I was just not interested I just thought I don't know snail farming like really is this a thing you know it's in their backyard But I have to say I went and it was at 5 p.m. when I really, after a day of, you know, six, seven interviews, it was the last thing I felt like. But she was the most incredible, articulate, engaging woman to speak to. And so I feel so glad that I went and I was curious because 
you know, snail farming is a thing and it's a fascinating thing. And you could get some spin-off articles around that, I'm sure. Uh, I can think of a lot of magazines that you would think of. Uh, now let's talk some technical stuff. Uh, even walking into a news agency now, there are so many new magazines that never used to be there. They're niche magazines. They're beautifully presented magazines. And I notice you've written for Peppermint magazine and there's a lot more of them. Uh do you find that writing for those magazines, I'm assuming there are some limitations and um, Lindy's shaking her head here, but they're there and I'm guessing they're going to keep coming and going. They are, yeah, and I'm shaking my head because they are so beautiful, those magazines, but they, there are limitations in terms of paying writers or the amount that they can pay writers. Because they are so bespoke and so specialist or so niche, they really run on the smell of an oily rag. And so they don't always have big budgets. And so when I said I write for magazines that pay 20 cents a word, they're the sort of magazines that I'm talking about, but they're passion projects. They're stories that I come across that I think this needs to be told and it would fit beautifully within this magazine's pages. And so I'm happy to do that because I want to tell the story of those people. Um, and I think Look, I do think that it's a burgeoning industry where you've got uh, magazines like Nautilus and Smith and Frankie uh, and Breathe, that new mindfulness magazine, where people are finding their niches and it's blossoming. Whether they're great opportunities for writers to earn money, I'm not sure, but whether it's an opportunity for you to pursue an interest or a passion you have as a writer, yep, I think those are the places. Yeah, and it's interesting because... Everybody, in order to write for these magazines, you have to study the magazines really, really closely. You have to look at them from cover to cover. And I found when I was doing this that I had piles and piles of magazines. I am sure there's a cheaper way of doing that now, like digital subscriptions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I am so guilty of that. And I think lots, if you are a local member of your library, you can very often access hundreds of online magazines and, and that's a great way to do it. Um, there is also a website called Issue. I'm going to it's got two S's in it I'm not, and maybe two U's. I'm not going to try and spell it. But you can access lots of magazines online. And all you need is a couple of recent editions for you to look through, get the tone right, because there's nothing that annoys an editor more than you pitching a story that is not a good fit for their magazine or publication. Yeah. Now, this is a skill set, everybody. This is nitty-gritty stuff. This is down to doing a course, doing a good course like the Australian Writers' Centre. I can't believe I'm promoting them. Uh, but if you're going to write anything, and this is what we teach our kids, it's about purpose and it's about audience, and you need to study that magazine. No good writing a flippant first-person article if it's a serious science magazine, which is a, you know, it's an extreme example. People do it all the time, don't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I look, I made that mistake as well. I remember very early on I was writing for lots of parenting publications because that was the space that I was in with a small child. And I remember pitching an idea to a parenting publication about um, reusable nappies. And she wrote back, a, the editor wrote back a very kind reply, but she was like, you know what, we get one of these pictures every day you have to think beyond what everybody else is pitching you need to put a new spin on it and that was the wake-up call that I need and I thought you know what you're right that is a very pedestrian topic and who am I to think that they wouldn't have covered that before yeah uh but that having said that and I, I'm talking about the gardening magazines now 
they continually reproduce old stuff, but they put a new spin on it. So if you go back to the 1970s and 80s, you yes. can actually find some really good material there and bring it into the 21st century. It's a, it's a trove of ideas, isn't it? So I think there's a real opportunity to pivot and look with fresh eyes on an old topic. And I remember at the height of when tree changing was such a big thing in Australia a few years ago that I remember reading an article that talked about three case studies of people who had moved to rural areas but had moved back to the city because their tree change had, for whatever reason had not worked out. And I remember thinking what a brilliant spin on a very tired and saturated Topic. So I think if you keep your eyes open and you're prepared to think outside the box, there are story ideas everywhere. Yeah, and that that is the exciting thing. There is story ideas every day. There are publications, digital magazines. Mm. Yeah, I think um, there's lots of online publications and typically they haven't paid as well as print. But look, I'm writing for a couple of online publications that are matching, if not exceeding what I get paid for print. So I do think that that's starting to shift. And I think that's starting to shift because they have often, they have corporate sponsorship deals. So your writing may be, if you're doing travel writing and they've got um, a sponsorship from, I don't know, an American airline or something, the content might be skewed towards American destinations, for example. And so if you're happy to do that sort of writing, there are opportunities out there. Yeah. Now, how exciting is that, everybody, that uh, in my day, um, digital was an add-on. Nowadays, it's becoming more centred, which is which is really, really exciting, especially for those of us that live in the digital world and online. And I was speaking to a lady uh, just recently, and she writes uh, tra travel destination books. And you can go and you can hire a co-working space somewhere, like we're looking at Vietnam. So you could certainly gather a lot of stories as you travel and have them in a bank and then put them out to the digital, um, digital uh, what do you call them, spaces as well, couldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really good point is that the freelance economy is so strong at the moment. And so you don't have to be in a major city and you don't have to be tied to your desk. I mean, I'm in regional Victoria, so I'm about an hour and a half out of Melbourne and I work out of a co-working space. And I think being in a regional centre has given me access to stories that I never would have had access to. So if you can use it to your advantage, it can really bolster your career. Yeah. And everybody, even talking about rural uh, Victoria, there are seasonal stories too, aren't there? You know, you can, you can flow with the seasons, but you've got to be a couple of seasons ahead. Yes, that's it. And I know some writers who have their year calendar and they think, okay, if I'm going to pitch a Valentine's Day story, I need to be thinking for a print publication, I probably need to be pitching that in September or October because the lead times are so long. And I was at my hairdressers the other day and I was talking to her about an article I'd written for Delicious and she said to me, oh, so will that be in next month's issue? And I said to her, oh, no, it's going to be six months before it's published because I think when you're outside that world, you don't know how far ahead people are working. So I think you're exactly right. There are opportunities and renewal stories where there's the Valentine's Day or Easter or Mother's Day or, you know, you can peg your story to lots of current events, but you need to be thinking about them before, at, at least a month before. Yeah. And food magazines uh, generally pay very well. They do. I think lots of those 
glossy um, newsstand magazines do pay well. I think um, for me it's because they're only most of them are monthly, if not bi-monthly or quarterly, it's hard to make up all your living from those. But it's nice to have. There's nothing better than going into the news agents or if you're my mother, going into the news agents and buying five copies of a particular magazine. But seeing your byline in print in a glossy magazine that you might have read for years, I mean, it's a thrilling feeling. Yeah, I think my mum used to take them to the golf ladies (laughs) way back in the olden days. Now, okay, quick tip. What is your most regular income and where should we pitch to to have our bread and butter money? That's a good question. For me, it's um, it's a food magazine, but because I write across three of their platforms, so I write for their monthly magazine, I write for their online um, website, and I write for their lift out in the Sunday papers. I don't think it's so much about where, but I think it's about who. Who do you have the strongest relationship with that you can nurture? Uh, Lots of people find that that's through corporate or content work. So you're still writing feature style articles, but you might be writing them for ANZ or Westpac or a health insurer. If you have a strong relationship, I would be building on that relationship and being proactive and asking those people, what what else, what other content do you need? Do you have other projects? Do you, are there other people in other departments who need content? I think it's always about looking for opportunities and being open to people that you are available and you're willing to take on more work. Yeah, and, and that's the key, everybody. Uh, it, it's a hard gig. It's a really, really rewarding gig. Uh, and doing it with young children is just beyond me because I actually stopped when I had my children. So the fact that you've continued on and I'm assuming this will only grow for you and if you're starting to train uh, people coming along behind you because there's a lot of young ones out there who, who travel and want to do what you're doing, aren't there? Absolutely. And I think there are a lot of people who are coming out of journalism school and not necessarily finding the jobs that they thought were there as well. And so they're finding that they're being forced into freelance. And I think they're they're very different skill sets because freelance, you're also running a business. So you have to have that mindset as well as having the technical writing skills. Now, all through this this interview, everybody, I've just been shaking my head because you've got to be organised. You've got to be a great admin and you've got to keep your record straight because you're on the go all the time and those uh, familiars that we talked about earlier they're damned hard work aren't they they are gosh it sounds so romantic doesn't it but you're going to have an all expenses paid trip but I have never worked as hard when I've gone on those trips so you know you've got early morning flights for me I live an hour and a half out of Melbourne so you've got to travel to the airport all that stuff then then you're with a often you're with a group of other people so if you're like me who's slightly introverted love people but I really enjoy my own space it's hard work to be with some with a group of people from 7:30 in the morning till 10 p.m. at night and you're traveling and and it's hard to find the time to process and so I usually get up early and maybe have an hour worth of writing time but really that's all you get you might get half an hour where you get to go back to your room and shower and change before dinner and then you're and then you're out again and they are wonderful like who would ever say that that is not an incredible opportunity but they are hard work and you have to produce those stories or else you won't get invited back again yeah and 
the crucial piece of advice in that is reflect. Have a journal with you all the time and note the sounds, the smells, the the flow of the wind, what the guy across from you is wearing when the chef comes out with his five-star gourmet food. If he's, has he got a little smile on his face? Because they're the things that bring your story alive, aren't they? Mm, absolutely. And I think you think you'll remember them, but as soon as you leave, they, those memories start to fade. So you want to, even if they're just thoughts or feelings or emotions or smells, like you say, that you can jot down that are going to evoke your memory later. It's really important to do that because it's fresh. Yeah. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you, uh, Lindy. It's been a huge pleasure and it's been a fantastic trip down memory lane for me. Congratulations on your huge success. I'd look forward to talking to you again uh, in a few months to see how you're going. And I'll let you know if I've actually managed to sell a story again because you've got me all (laughs) enthusiastic. Uh, And that's something just before we go, everybody, a lot of uh, magazines have writing guidelines for, for submissions, don't they? Yeah, they do. Probably, I think probably half of the magazines I write for have contributor guidelines. uh, And so it's always worth emailing and requesting those. It's also worth asking whether they have an editorial calendar because some magazines may overtly or not so overtly have a theme each month or each quarter. And if your story doesn't fit in that theme, they won't consider it. So travel magazines often want to get a spread of countries and continents. And so you do need to have a look at what they've covered or whether they're looking at covering specific destinations in the future. Yeah, and it's look, it's a lot of research, it's a lot of fun, you're on the go all the time, and it can be monetarily rewarding. And those editors out there, once you have a relationship with every, with them, everyone, it's well worth it. Have a look at Lindy's website. She's certainly got a blog that will teach you the basics. Um, I've just subscribed to your newsletter, so I'm going to be getting some tips and tricks on how to earn what I'm worth. Uh, and I'm looking forward to, to having more chats with you in the future. Uh, where can we find you? But where can we find you? Uh, so my blog is at thefreelancersyear.com and my writer website is at lindyalexander.net. Yeah, and I'm assuming there will be a book eventually. Yes, a book or a course or something. I just surveyed all my readers at the end of the year and so people are really keen for tools and resources like a course or a book. So that's that's my goal for this year. Yeah, let me know when you've got it and I'll put it up on the website so we can, we can help you out. That would be absolutely wonderful. I might even read it and try and get myself up to date. <laughs> okay, uh, that's it from Writer on the Road for another episode um, but certainly full of full of ideas for us to get us uh, started in 2018. Thanks, Lindy. Thank you.